0: Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today my guest is Patti Lynn. She is a former TV writer and producer whose credits include Freaks and Geeks, Friends, Desperate Housewives, and Breaking Bad. She has also written pilots for Fox, CBS, and Nickelodeon. Her Breaking Bad episode was nominated for a Writers Guild Award for Outstanding Script of 2008. She is the author of End Credits, How I Broke Up with Hollywood, a memoir about her television career. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on to your podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. And I also have to tell you that while my my teenagers, who are now 18 and almost 16, think that what i do is probably not worth really paying much attention to uh, it, on many <laughs> levels when when i told my daughter that you had written on Freaks and Geeks she said that is so cool because and she told me I'm allowed to tell you that she has a super crush on Jason Segel oh my which, god yes she. I said are you <laughs> sure I can say that on air she said yeah she said maybe he'll be listening and I said okay <laughs> I'm gonna say it but also she really liked him in the Muppet movie that was her entry to Jason uh-huh. Segel when she was little and then my, my son who I thought I don't know if I'm gonna impress him I told him about your your nominated script for uh breaking bad and he was Uh blown away because he discovered that show a couple of years ago and loves it and did a rhetoric exercise at school on on breaking bad so this is probably the best and only episode they'll ever listen to oh
1: that's a lot of pressure
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i have no doubt i have no doubt and also okay we're not even into your book yet so i'll ask this question about new york after but why don't you share a little bit about end credits
1: sure so it's a memoir that covers pretty much my whole career in television how i first got into tv which was with a college internship at late night with david letterman then moving on to when i started writing for tv and the whole 10 years that i worked as a television writer and how i became a very disillusioned with show business and just at some point realized I couldn't keep doing it, that I was burnt out, that I was really unhappy. And um, and so I retired when I was 38 years old. And people kept asking me, like, why would you quit such a cool career? Because they, you know, it seems very glamorous uh, and creative from the outside. And it was just really hard to explain that to people. And I was still processing all of that. And so... I just started writing about it um, just to kind of work through my own feelings and also to just get back into writing, which, you know, by the time I was done writing for TV, I just didn't even want to do anymore. You know, it had been like that passion had been beaten out of me. And so writing this memoir was a way of sort of just getting back, you know, sort of repairing my relationship with writing. And in the process, I told my story about the whole TV business and you know why I didn't want to do it anymore and and so that's that's really where that came from Mm. and the impulse to write about it I know you
0: talk a little bit about this at the end of the book but I'm curious about the impulse to write about your experience and any kind of push and pull you had about revealing this inside look did you struggle with that at all oh Yes, of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk about that? Like, can you talk about when you first started getting the feeling, you know, I really have to write about this, and then Mm -hmm. talking about it and kind of airing that out to people close to you and then actually going
1: for it? I didn't talk about it with other people for a really long time. um, Because I just, you know, I just felt like if I talked about it, it would kind of, you know, possibly ruin my motivation to, to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was also just really hard for me to talk about my experiences in the business in general at that time because I hadn't really worked through that yet. Mm-hmm. So I kept it quiet for a really long time and I and I wasn't even sure it was a book until quite a bit in to it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think I'd written probably about six chapters before I even, you know, admitted that it was a book. <laughs> But yes, it was fairly really hard to accept that I was going to put this out there eventually and that, you know, sort of the unflattering things that I had to say about certain people or about the, the experiences that I had were going to be out there. And it's something that I still struggle with, you know, just it's hmm. it's sort of like I can't – I have to not think about that because it's just too – scary you know yeah yeah i i
0: hear that and also here's an interesting facet uh, there are a lot of parts of your memoir that i think are so useful to readers you also name names you know you really don't shy away from that at all and a lot of times for memoirists on this show uh and people who chime in on, on the in the groups that i'm part of there's a big concern about revealing other people's stories and naming names, and how do you handle that, and legal. Mm-hmm. So I feel compelled to ask you on on behalf mm-hmm. of everyone who's ever had this question, what your counsel said about this, what your publisher said about this, what the approach was about being able to name Jennifer Aniston in your book, and you mm-hmm. know Jed Apatow, like all that.
1: When I first wrote the book, I didn't change any names. Um, because it was just for my eyes only at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I just like, just told every, I just put every name in there. <laughs> and, um, and I knew eventually that that was gonna have to change. And just through the process of uh, working on different drafts and, and what have you, I eventually started to change some names. And I had to make decisions about which names I was gonna change and which I was gonna keep. And there's no hard and fast rule but i would say that generally if it was a, a name that like if i changed somebody's name and it was obvious who that person was because they're a public figure then it's like what's the point of changing their name <laughs> you okay. know but if it's somebody who like really has is not a public figure at all and is somebody who i'm revealing things about you know personal things about them like my ex-boyfriend mm-hmm. you know I I changed his name because I just mm-hmm. didn't feel like it was fair to put his name out there when he's not a public figure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but yes, there was were, there, were, uh, there was a very rigorous legal review process mm-hmm. for this book, and essentially, it's a lawyer making sure that everything that you write in the book is, to your knowledge, factual, and that you know the way that you phrase things shows that this is your opinion and this is your experience and that you're not trying to assume what other people were thinking mm-hmm. that sort of thing and and so it could be it, it can be very tedious to go through that but i I appreciate it yeah, no, definitely. And I think people
0: are very afraid of of sharing details like this in general as writers. And so we always want to make sure we're not going to step across the line. And I think that's a really important point that what you're saying, the way I'm taking it to mean is sort of what is through your lens that mm-hmm. you can perceive and that affected you and that happened to you is a lot safer than some large sweeping statement about someone.
1: Absolutely. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And I mean, that's also covered in the author's note, mm-hmm. you know, that, look, this stuff, a lot of this stuff happened a long time ago. I don't have a perfect memory. I'm trying to, you know, do my best to, to portray things accurately. And I think that just generally, I tried to not put stuff in my book that was just gratuitously gossipy or you know what I mean Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I you know I I really felt I I tried to be as fair as possible when writing about other people and I think Mm -hmm. that's that's really all you can do
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and I also like how this centers the narrative on the memoirist which I talk a lot Uh, on this show about which is that it's really about what your experience was your lens again to say to use that word again and the idea of our experience shaping what we're talking about we're not saying this is everyone's truth this Mm -hmm. is our particular truth this is our story as we see it and understand it now exactly Yeah. yeah so Okay, what perspective or approach did you have in writing this book that maybe was informed by all your years writing or not informed in, you know, toiling in the business? Do you feel like certain aspects of writing this book were easier for you or harder for you because of your past experience working in Hollywood?
1: I think for the most part, my past experience made it harder to write (laughs) a, a book and I think that's partly because when you write a script, a script is essentially a blueprint. It's it doesn't have all the detail that you would put into a book. And in fact, you're sort of trained as a script writer to not write with that sort of flowery description and stuff. I mean that's that's like really not considered to be good script writing. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, cause you know that that eventually a director's gonna come in and they're gonna interpret it and there's gonna be a production designer who's gonna like, you know, figure out what wallpaper is in the room. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's not the writer's job. But when you're writing a book, you gotta put all those details in. And mm-hmm. so I came to when I started writing the book, I was writing it in this very kind of like spare, uh, you know, skeletal way, mm-hmm. and and it took a lot of work to fill it out with details and you know like sensory details, and I still don't feel like I'm that good at it, <laughs> you know, compared to other writers, like I'm terrible at it, but I'm I've, I tried. <laughs> well, I, are you
0: are you a big reader
1: yourself? Like, what what do you choose to read when you read books? What do you like? Um i i do love to read i i'm not that well read i don't read Mm -hmm. very quickly so it depends i I just sort of like read whatever i'm interested in at the moment Mm. or if somebody that i respect says oh this is an amazing book like i'll i'll read that Mm -hmm. um but it's just kind of all it's all over the place like sometimes i'll read a lot of nonfiction books you know just because it's on a topic that i'm interested in i love reading memoirs generally and and fiction You know, I mean, so it's it's. I'm sorry, that's not a good answer. No, no, it's it's fine. (laughs) No, no, it's all over the place.
0: If someone asked me before I did this podcast, if someone said, "What do you read?", I I would not really have a lot to answer about it. But nowadays, (laughs) I'm like I'm like basically I have an IV of memoir going in all the time. Like I'm just constantly because I need to. But I do like reading other things as well, like straight nonfiction. You know, nonfiction, narrative nonfiction that isn't memoir, and I also like fiction a bit. But I have less patience for fiction these days, which is Uh, funny. uh But I want to ask you was there a workhorse aspect or were you able to recruit your work ethic at all like uh, in getting pages down and and like getting more volume to the actual manuscript did that help you from Hollywood or did that not Um, really kick in
1: I really didn't want to bring that workhorse aspect into the writing of this book Mm -hmm. because for me the whole point of, you know, leaving TV was because <laughs> I didn't want to work that way anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wanted to give myself time and space to let my creativity kind of just flower on its on its own schedule. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of advice out there about like oh you need to write every day or you need to write like a certain number of hours and blah 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 and Mm -hmm. i think that can be help really really helpful for some people who who just need that kind of discipline Mm. but for me it was not helpful to try to set goals like that you know yeah
0: i can see how that would probably draw upon the aspects of your previous career that you were trying to get away from
1: yeah exactly exactly yeah
0: yeah so how many revisions can you
1: you know how many times did you redo the manuscript or <laughs> you can you talk about the timeline oh at all? my god I mean I started I started writing it like 13 years ago uh-huh. you know and so uh-huh. it, it's been a long road and there were many drafts like I can't even count how many there were but you know I'll, like I'll, I'll tell you like at one point I had 170,000 words. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> and, oh my gosh! And I and, and that was that was like when I was kind of just that I was in the phase of like let's just put everything in there and mm-hmm. not worry about you know the final what what's going to end up you know in the final book. Um, of course, no one's going to read a memoir that's that long. I mean, or any book that's that long. You know, so I I was. I knew in the back of my mind, like I was going to have to cut it down. And so I did, you know, I had another draft that was shorter, that was a lot shorter, and I had basically taken out all of my personal life. And the only thing left in the book was, Hmm. you know, uh, stuff about my, my jobs. And that wasn't good either because, you know, without the personal life, it was, it was like a half a book essentially, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I I struggled with it because I thought like honestly, in the beginning, I thought I kept thinking nobody's nobody's going to be interested in my personal life. You mm-hmm. know, like who am I? I'm nobody. I'm not like a famous mm-hmm. person. And I kept hearing like, "Oh, you know, you can't get a mem- memoir published unless you're a celebrity or, you know, you had some extraordinary thing happened to you or like you climbed Mount Everest or something, you know? <laughs> and and so I just thought, well, my life isn't, my personal life isn't going to be that interesting to people. And and it wasn't until I, I really got into submitting my my manuscript to, to agents and, and sort of like starting to get feedback from people that I realized that, yeah, my personal life was important to the story and I really needed to develop that. And so a lot of, the work that I did on the later drafts was developing out that part of the story just just filling filling that part of it out because the professional stuff I had like written it to death at that point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and probably you thought about it so
0: much too and it may have even been stories that you shared with People you were close to over the years, mm-hmm. that how hard you know the work life was, and I think mm. what you're saying is so vital for memoirists, and it comes up a lot in conversations as well, because this there's this idea that you know who who am I, and mm. and you know I I would imagine listeners might think well wait a minute but you worked in Hollywood and you're thinking that. But I know what you're saying because we think that who would want to know that stuff. But actually, yeah. I love those parts of your book as oh, well because you. I wanted to know about your mom and your dad and I wanted to know about your relationship with him and I Carl mm. and I wanted to know mm. what was going to happen and how you were feeling uh, because then I think in a way it makes the the career stuff kind of a little more resonant because we yeah. know what you're bringing
1: to this work life is, is all of the stuff that makes you who you are. My editor, you know, asked me to really beef up the part about my my mother and I was I I I just kept resisting it because I was like I don't want to be another Asian American female writer who writes about their mother in their memoir that's like a genre now it's I its I just I just felt like oh god it's such a cliche you know like like Asian daughters and their mothers you know but but then I sort of like realized wait That's not like an Asian thing. Like everybody writes about their mother, you know? Uh, That's what I wrote
0: about. I mean, yeah, that's
1: like (laughs) what we write about. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome
0: to memoir, Patty. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, people, They, I don't know. I guess it's like it's that universal thing. And, you know, I'm sure we've all heard this before, but, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but that the more specific you get, the more particular you get the more universal it becomes because mm-hmm. we kind of get in there and understand. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to, I noticed really early on in your book, which I really appreciated because I think you and I were in the city of Manhattan at similar times. And we were in LA almost at similar times because I was acting in New York and then I moved to LA to act. And when you describe what you were doing and like the studio or like the city and like what it was like uh, on Letterman, mm-hmm. I really appreciated how you, always gave a little background so anyone would understand no matter where they were living, no matter what part of the planet they're from, they could understand what you're talking about. You Mm. never shied away from furnishing those details. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that because I knew a lot about it just because I've got relatives in the business and Mm -hmm. I used to act. But what you offered was for anyone to be able to grasp this world you were living in. Mm.
1: Thank you. Thank you for for noticing that. Yeah, I kept Um,
0: nodding my head like, oh, good. That's really good. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that, you know, again, that was a lot of those details came out in, la- in a later in later drafts after I had gotten feedback from um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my agent who has been amazing through this whole thing and and his boss, who was like, you, yeah, really just go through and every time you can add sensory details and really just like put the reader in the room with you, Um, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what you need. And I was just like, that it was really hard sometimes to do that because the room was literally a room that looked (laughs) the same at every job. It was like a conference room with whiteboards. Like, how interesting is that? Like, no, you know, but, but I I, you know. So that was a challenge, but I tried to at least include some details of physical details of of each location that I was in so that the reader would feel more a part of it. Yeah, so we
0: could see you kind of, you know, zipping and zapping throughout your, you know, your world in in New York and L.A. And I was wondering if you would read that that excerpt we talked about and you can set it up a little bit if you feel you need to just so you can sort of root us a little bit and where we
1: are. Sure. So this is in the chapter of my book where I talked about, you know, what it's like to try to find your next TV writing job. Back in the old days, TV schedules were much more seasonal. You know, now with streaming, it's kind of production happens all year round. But back then it was like, you know, the spring was when all the shows were on hiatus. And that's Mm -hmm. when all the writers would be hustling to find their next job. So this is from that chapter one day in late April, Larry called, Larry is my agent, my TV agent, by the way, one day in late April, Larry called and asked in an urgent voice if I had read a pilot titled Freaks and Geeks. I rummaged through the stack next to my desk and found it in the liked pile. I had read lots of high school shows, but two things stuck out about Freaks and Geeks. First, it was a period piece that took place in 1980. Second, much of the pilot's plot revolved around an intellectually disabled character named Eli. My overall impression was that the script had some funny dialogue and promising characters, but I couldn't quite picture the show. It didn't blow me away, but it was kind of interesting. He didn't care whether I liked it or not. The writer, Paul Feig, has a deal with Judd Apatow to produce the show, he said, almost manic. They want to meet with you. As he rattled off Judd's credits, I understood his excitement. Judd was a hot producer, a wunderkind in his early 30s who had run The Larry Sanders Show, a comedy about a neurotic late-night host played by Gary Shandling. Judd had worked closely with Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, and Ben Stiller, and seemed to have a hand in every comedy property in town. But he had me at Larry Sanders. That show prompted me to splurge on HBO back when I was struggling to pay rent, It was hilarious and so realistic judd was obviously a rock star my meeting with judd and paul was held at a bungalow across the street from the CBS radford lot a temporary space they were using for pre-production when paul introduced himself judd was busy talking on the phone in the next room i was afraid this was a bad sign but i ended up grateful to have time alone with paul because we really clicked a gangly midwesterner in his late 30s Paul reminded me of Peter Tork from The Monkees. He was so nice that I wondered if he'd only just arrived in Hollywood. But no, he'd been around for years working as a character actor. He played the science teacher on Sabrina the Teenage Witch before taking up writing. He wrote Freaks and Geeks on spec, meaning that he did it with the hope that a network would buy it. Luckily, Judd was looking for a pilot to produce. He read Paul's script and here we were. By this point, I was used to apologizing for my one credit, explaining that I never intended to write for an action show. But to my surprise, Paul said that he dug martial law. All those times I wondered, who the hell is watching this? The answer was Paul Feig. With his nerdy penchant for martial arts, he appreciated the show more than I did. We discovered we had a lot in common. We both grew up in the Midwest in the early 80s. We both liked classic rock and adored Styx, a Chicago band whose music Paul wrote into the pilot. Come Sail Away, a bombastic prog rock epic about aliens coming to Earth, was my favorite song when I was a kid. Like the show's lead character, Lindsay, I was an honor student and dated a pothead drummer in high school, allowing me to straddle both the freak and geek worlds. But I was a geek at heart, just like Paul thank you
0: see you did it right there you talk about sticks like I my instinct would have been like oh you know sticks like of course the reader knows but as time <laughs> passes right and there's new generations coming yeah. up maybe they don't and so that way that that is such a small detail there right I'm sure you're like why do you keep telling me that I did this thing that you like but I <laughs> no, please I, please you do, know what I- keep telling me that <laughs> but I was like you know that's really good like I love that because you're kind of including everyone you know everyone yeah. can understand what you're talking about so so you write about being a woman in Hollywood and being
1: one of the only Asian women in the room most of the time so well I was you... I was the only Asian I was the only Asian person oh wow in every room every writer's room that I was in oh gosh it's like it I know we haven't come that far but it has changed
0: a bit yeah yeah so so can you reflect on a little bit right now about how you felt then about that because we're not really covering an excerpt on that right now Mm -hmm. and also what your experience is as an asian woman writer now like how do you feel like what yeah just go ahead elaborate
1: you know i it's not something that i thought about a lot when i was uh you know working in tv and a part of that was just survival right like I, i you know i was too busy trying to make it right Mm -hmm. to to just like keep working uh to to really like have time to reflect on my Asian-ness and what you know effect that has on anything I mean I'd say the one time that I consciously not the one time but like one of the few times that I consciously thought about that was when i got the job on friends because nbc had just started a diversity program at that point i mean now you know that's much more common but at the time this was like to the year 2000 at the time that was a, a fairly new thing like this whole kind of push to to start making the, the writers rooms more diverse mm-hmm. and um and so in that case i was conscious of the fact that you know they probably wouldn't have Uh, considered me for the job had I not been Mm. a minority you know Mm -hmm. I mean it's just a fact like I at that point I had only worked on two shows before and I wasn't a comedy writer I was not a joke writer you know I had I had written on dramas before and so Mm -hmm. I wasn't like the best fit for that job but they were really they really wanted to find you know a person of color to round out the staff and you know, that's a tough position to be in. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that is. I feel like you would just always wonder, you know, am I
1: here for the right reason? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. that's, that. people are talking about that a lot right now because of the whole mm-hmm. getting rid of affirmative action in college admissions. Mm-hmm. When you're, you know, working on a TV staff, there is a lot of emphasis on fitting into the culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that can be tough if you are a person of color you know yeah, i mean depending yeah. on what what the makeup of the of the um, of the writing staff is mm-hmm. um so you know that definitely comes into play whereas as a memoir writer as a book writer you never have to think about that right because you're the only one in the room yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. right yeah as my husband always points out to me he's like don't you get lonely <laughs> You're like I. He's like I could never do what you do because you just sit alone by yourself most of the day.
1: Yeah, it's um, a weird thing. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think I do think that, like, as a memoir writer, you know, your your voice is probably the most important thing that you're putting on the page. You know, mm-hmm. more than more than any event that happened to you or whatever. You know, I mean, there there have been books that I've read that where really not that much happens or things that happen are like very ordinary but the person's voice the person the writer's voice yes, is yes. so distinctive and so just engaging mm-hmm. that um, that I love it and so because voice is so important and obviously with memoir your life experiences are are important then I, I do think that your heritage you know whatever that may be comes across more in your writing, your voice comes out more, you know?
0: Yes, and I think I had not really considered, you know, I've never written a script, and it seems so obvious, but I never really made the connection that you are trying to make it more of a blueprint than anything else, because Mm -hmm. the director, the actor, the set design, all that stuff is going to come in and personalize it. Mm -hmm. And so it must be a bit of a toggle, like to have to then add all of this, imbue your writing with so much of this other stuff that memoir readers and other readers are looking for. It's very different.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, on a TV show, you know, unless you are, say, you know, the creator of the show and you're, you know, this is your vision as a TV writer who's on a staff, your job is to essentially take on the voice of the creator Mm. and you're putting yourself into the shoes of the characters in the show. And so it's not your voice, you know, it's like. It's somebody else. Like, take else's your voice. voice out of there. Take yeah. your voice out of there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So you know that excerpt I sent you? I didn't ask you like to be ready with it, but it's on page 288. That mm-hmm. like two
1: paragraphs. Do you happen to have that by you? OK. Yeah. A lot of upsetting stuff came up while I was writing the book. I worried that people would be mad at me for sharing my story. I had dreams where Carl would be yelling at me, chasing me through the streets, his face red with rage. I would process all this with my therapist week after week trying to believe her when she said you don't owe him anything. She helped me reframe the terrible experiences I'd had in my TV jobs so that I no longer blamed myself for being treated badly. Writing a memoir is like reliving all the worst parts of your life voluntarily. I often asked myself why I was putting myself through that when I could have just shoved those memories away and never talked about them again but that's what it is to be a writer. You write because you can't help it. Thank you.
0: So a question about this and just kind of my closing question about the work that you're doing now is what have you come to understand about who you are and your writing life? Mm, That's a big question.
1: (laughs) I know. Um, I, wow, I, I mean, That's a hard question to answer, Um, partly because I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. (laughs) Mm. You know, like just having, I mean, if you're talking about getting a book published, that's, I'm in the middle of that right now. And it's it's Mm -hmm. gonna be a while before I've really processed all of it. But in terms of like, just my writing, you know, what I've learned, I guess, is, you know, that i can trust my i can trust my own voice and that i i don't have to just kind of going back to what we were talking about before i don't have to beat myself into being a writer <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like i'm already a writer it's already in me and it's going to come out when the conditions are right mm-hmm. and i don't so there's there's no forcing that needs to happen You know, Mm -hmm. I there's it's just kind of I feel much more relaxed about it now. And there's just a more uh, sort of organic feeling to my writing life Mm -hmm. than ever Mm -hmm. before, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's and it's like, yeah, I would say that that it just feels more organic. It feels more just overall, you know, satisfying and integrated into the rest of my life. Mm, thank
0: you for mm-hmm. reflecting on that. I know it's a tough one. So are there memoirs you'd like to recommend or suggest or that helped you a lot? Memoirs or books that are really like on the top of your list
1: right now that you can share with listeners? Um, there, I lo- there are a lot of memoirs that I love. Um, there was one that I read while I was writing. Uh, it, it's called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Blacker um Mm -hmm. it's it's actually a collection of essays uh, written by Damon Young he's just brilliant like his voice is so smart and funny yeah he's got like there's this one essay that he wrote about what it was like for him as a black person to watch Obama win the election Mm -hmm. and and how he was constantly fearing for Obama's life every time he saw Obama, like, get up on a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he's just so insightful and so funny. So I love that one. I love Blow Your House Down by mm-hmm. Gina Frangelo. She, just, she writes about her divorce and mm-hmm. an affair that she had that led to her divorce. Um, and But she writes in, in this, like, again, amazing voice very strong voice very feminist kind of lens that she's looking through i love the way she pulls back the curtain on memoir writing itself like in the Mm -hmm. book you know just kind of revealing like oh i changed this and i did that you know which is like usually something that people that memoirs memoirists don't admit in the text of the book you know um right but it's it's true you you do have to do a lot of of kind of shaping things in the background because real life is so messy and it's it's not a, a, a straight narrative. So she does a really good job of, of uh, talking about that. I would also recommend Crying in H Mart oh, yeah. mm-hmm. by Michelle Zahner. She writes about her mother's death. And again, that's a topic that it's very common, I guess, especially with memoir. But she does it in just such a beautifully, uh, just a beautiful way and it's so simple, but, but mm-hmm. so deep. And let's see, um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. I mean, not that that needs any plug, but like it's just <laughs> really, it's really well done. And particularly the part in the beginning about her childhood and um, just her early life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like such a great example of how to write about your childhood without making it boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean yeah that's something that I struggled with a lot I was like I don't want to put boring childhood stuff in my memoir you know but if you do it in a way where it really informs the rest yeah. of the story then yeah. it's not going to be boring you know hmm so she does a great job of that and um I think she had a ghostwriter but I'm not I, I I'm not sure great
0: thank you I'm gonna add those to our show notes and um do you have any parting words any any last droplets of advice for memoirists working on their books right now?
1: I would say trust your instincts, you know? And I know that that can be hard because, like, what are your instincts, you know? But you get to a point where you, like, you realize, oh, okay, that's that's that little voice that's telling me this is the direction I should go in, you know, and you learn to follow that. You know, and I think it also comes out a lot when you once you get to the point where you are sharing your work with people and you you starting to get feedback, that's when it's the most important to trust your own instincts, because people will have all sorts of suggestions and not all of them are great, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not that they're trying to mess up your book. It's just that, you know, they might have a different perspective on it. But, you know, like, for instance, I had a, a friend read read my book, and he's brilliant, and he's, like, had so many great notes. But he, one of his, you know, suggestions that he threw out there was, hey, you know, would you, like, have you ever thought about doing this as, instead of, like, a straight narrative, like, doing it more like a bunch of essays where you're talking about, you know— uh, you know, each essay would be like a theme that you would then, you know, use mm. your TV experiences to illuminate. And I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's like, like I could, I could imagine a book like that, sure. but it's not. That's not my book
0: right like why should you pretzel yourself or pretzel the book at this point right like you could do it of course we can do so many things with structure yeah. but that's that's a really good example because of course you could have i mean there's so many ways yeah. to tell a story and i i talked about this with my teacher uh when i was learning memoir a long time ago like i could probably go back and write my memoir again in many different ways and yeah. different times in my life with the new the new lens that i have as i get older yeah you know you totally could but yeah i think once is enough for me <laughs>
1: um (laughs) so um where can people
0: find you where's the best place for people to connect
1: with your work they can go to my website it's pattylynn.com that's spelled p-a-t-t-y-l-i-n and i i don't do a whole lot of social media but you can find me on instagram at virtual cool thank you so much i just had a great time talking with you thank you i did too thanks a lot for having me on Hey memoir fam,
0: Audible Books has partnered with Let's Talk Memoir to offer Let's Talk Memoir listeners a 30-day free trial of Audible. I listen to Audible Books when I'm driving, when I'm walking the dogs, when I'm cleaning up the house or folding laundry. All those times I can't use my hands and eyes to read memoirs and other books. I'm listening to them. It's a great way to keep on learning and taking in stories even when i can't turn pages so if you would like to check out audible if you haven't yet done that you can do so for free for the first 30 days go to www.audibletrial.com let's talk that's www.audibletrial.com slash let's memoir thank you audible for being a let's talk memoir partner Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.